looking forward to that. Just a few more days. Don't have to be here that much longer, boys and girls. It does seem, it does seem interesting to hear a couple of young people singing that song. Amen. Maybe they know something I don't know. Amen. Praise God. As John was mentioning, um, the opportunity in the month of February uh, to raise uh, a donation to help uh, the, the uh, little flyer that's inside your bulletin for the Crisis Pregnancy Center of Tidewater. I ask you that you just be in prayer. You know, one of the things that we don't realize is, I was mentioning in the Sunday school hour, recently I came across something uh, recently. Basically, it was a little demonstration that, that, that spoke about the fact the funding that's received by uh, a group in our nation called Planned Parenthood. They receive a great deal of federal funding in order to provide the needs for uh, women uh, for, and, and for young women, those that are in pregnancy, uh, so that they can receive all of the kind of cares that they need. <clears throat> and then uh, this group that had done this research uh, called uh, uh, many, I don't remember the number, just a huge number, all, all, all the states in the, in the country, and they recorded their phone call. I think 41 of the 50 states, you can record the phone call that you make with somebody, and they recorded in these 41 states where it's legal. They recorded their, and basically they asked for uh, prenatal care. They just called saying, I, I need prenatal care. And the answer over and over again was, we don't do prenatal care, we do abortions. Yet if you listen to them talk, the, re- the way they get their money is to talk about meeting all the needs of all the women in America and how vital they are. They're not vital. These ministries are vital. They actually meet the needs of these young ladies. They actually meet them where they are, and they help them. Those that are afraid, those that are scared, those that have real needs, they help them financially, they help them with counsel, they help them to understand that life is an option, that life is a choice, and it really is significant that you realize that there are those who will help young ladies, and young ladies in our country need help. And I ask you that you pray for these ministries, and that you pray for really kind of a revelation, an honest revelation of those things that pretend to be something that they're not in our country. It's time for our tax dollars to stop going to things that are not what they purport to be. It's just, it's just time that that be the case. Um, I'd also like to mention to you uh, the, a ministry. We had a, a meeting together yesterday. Uh, the ministry that we started, we started this year. Uh, we started it in January. It's called My Son. I'll just read the definition. The ministry of Tidewater Baptist Church designed to promote honest, godly living in all men and boys. It's called My Son. The idea is for fathers and sons to be able to assemble together regularly, to be in the Word of God together here and at home, uh, for it to be normal, normal, and normal and healthy. And, and again, as I said, honest, for our young, man to be a, our young men to be around the Word of God with the older men in our church, with their fathers and with others. Uh, the deacons are coming. It is a real blessing to see uh, men who have no children uh, here at the church right now uh, to be able to be involved in this. Uh, behind Jetty, uh, Jetty, raise your hand if you would, so those that don't know who Jetty is. Behind Jetty, as you're going out the door there, there are sheets of paper. It just says, my son on the top of it, and it has uh, Proverbs chapter 2, which is basically the focus of the ministry is what God reveals in, in Proverbs chapter 2. This is going to be a continual ministry. We're going to meet monthly or more than once a month, and we're going to continue to do this going on, Lord willing, until he comes. Uh, the idea really is to foster, foster uh, our young men so they can walk around this property talking about the things of God 
and not feel strange about it at all. That that would go over into their houses, into our houses, into their neighborhoods. That they would not be afraid to talk about the goodness and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ as an everyday part of their life. That's what God wants to accomplish in their lives. So let me recommend that to you. We've had good groups. We've had two meetings. We've had good groups both times. The groups were completely different groups of men having to do with schedule. I I understand that we can only meet when we can, but we're going to make it available. You come out when you can. You bring your son if you can. You come by yourself. If your dad's not here, young men, and you want to come, you let us know. We'll be glad to make sure that you have a ride and you're able to be here with us. All right, open your Bible with me, if you would, please, to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. James chapter 5, we're reaching the end of the book of James. It's gone, in my opinion, I don't know how you feel about this, but in my opinion, this book, we've gone through this book quite quickly. Um, What I'd like to do is just for a moment reiterate to you that what you're seeing in James chapter 5 is God is proving, God is proving whether what you have is real or not. This is one of the reality epistles. Starting with the book of Hebrews, God makes it very clear. Please hear me, this is so important. Starting in the book of Hebrews, God makes it very clear that the Lord Jesus Christ by himself purged our sins. And having taken our sins away, he ever liveth to make intercession for us. But he doesn't just plead for us Before God the Father, he comes from God the Father and pours out a whole new quality of life into into our inner being. It's what the Holy Ghost is doing within us. When you come into the book of James, what what God wants to make clear is this. This whole new quality of life is your everyday life if you're a new creature. Not your Sunday morning life, not your Wednesday evening life, It is your everyday life. Now let me say this. If you find that walking with God every day is restrictive, is somehow a burden, then I don't think you know the Lord Jesus. It is not a burden to walk every day with the Lord Jesus. It is not. And when I say it is a privilege, I do not say that as a pastor. I just say that as a man. It is a privilege to have the forgiveness of sins an everyday fellowship with a God who loves us. And it is critically important that you understand that this is not done in the energy of your flesh. This is not done in the energy of my flesh. This is not done in the energy of our flesh together. This is done by the Spirit of God living within us and changing us, truly changing us daily from the inside out. So when you come to the beginning, let's just turn back to the beginning. You're going to need it anyway. The beginning of the book of James. James chapter 1. It says in verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, Let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. What I want you to notice is this. God says at the very beginning, and this is so critically important, when you were saved, 
the things that used to be your friend suddenly were not your friend anymore. The things that you used to enjoy doing, these things are you'll still find in your life because of the way you were living your life. And immediately you find that you have fallen in, as it were. Suddenly you feel surrounded on all sides by things that are vexing, troubling, even seem like they're aggressively attacking you. Now again, these were your friends just a few days ago. I'm not even talking about human friends. I'm talking about things that were friends in your life that are not friends to the things of God. And so suddenly you find yourself involved in a warfare and, the, and God says, when you find this to be true, count it all joy. Understand that he's going to win all of these conflicts in your life. It is his power. It is what we saw in the book of Hebrews. It is his power that's going to deliver you from all of these things. And while this is happening, while God has accomplished these things in your life, you're going to learn what it means to trust God. This is what patience is. Listen to me. Patience is not just enduring. Patience is an enduring while knowing confidently that God is victorious in this. God is not interested in you having to wring your hands. You know, Brother uh, Ronnie Jacobs has given this testimony a number of times. I used to be up all night trusting God, and now I can go to sleep and trust God instead. And there's all the difference in the world between those two things. Patience is not just simply saying, well, we'll just keep waiting. No, no, no. My God is going to win this conflict. He's going to win this conflict in my heart. Now, one of the things that blesses me, you know, of course, in, in our Sunday school class in this room, uh, John is teaching through the book of Daniel. And the three men, the three Hebrew children, are going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And it doesn't look like there's anything that can be done about them being thrown into the fiery furnace. And what they say to Nebuchadnezzar is this. We're not careful about this. We're not afraid of what you're going to do. Here's what's going to happen, king. We're going to be delivered. You might throw us into the fiery furnace and we might die instantly. We'll, we'll be delivered. You might throw us into the fire. We might not burn at all. We're going to be delivered. Our God is going to deliver us. You may see it. You may not see it. But our God is going to deliver us. Now what that is, is that's confidence in God at his own word. And that's what they had. They were not trusting in their religious behavior. They were not saying, we've done a pretty good job as, as Hebrews. We're pretty confident that God has looked down on our behavior as Hebrews, and he's going to honor our behavior as Hebrews. That's not it at all. We serve the living and true God. And we are not worried about what this world can do to us. We're not concerned about what's going on in our quote-unquote everyday life because God is working all things together for good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purposes. When you lined yourself up with the purposes of God by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, it changed everything. Not just your eternity, it changed your everyday life. There is a gospel being preached in the United States of America that when you trust Christ, everything will go wonderfully well for you from here on out. And because of this kind of preaching, the average Christian is always trying to get away from difficulty. And God says, you don't need to get away from difficulty. I am Lord. Listen, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We have nothing to be afraid of. We have nothing to be concerned about in what's going on. We are, listen, if the sun shall make you free, then you are free indeed. We don't have to run around with signs yelling and screaming and ranting like lunatics. We don't have to, to, to argue and fuss with somebody who lives near us about something that they disagree with us about. We don't have to be involved in, literally, none of that. None of that, none of that, none of that. Our, our Father's kingdom is not of this world. 
We don't have to be worried about these things. Instead, instead, honestly, we can show forth the love of God in Christ. We can, listen, hear me, we can selflessly care for them. And I mean not, listen, not endure them, selflessly care for them. We can be more concerned about their well-being than our own well-being because it is well with our soul. It is, it is wonderfully well. If you're a new creature, it is so wonderfully well with your soul, nothing will ever touch you eternally again. Nothing. Literally nothing. So now I want you to turn back into James chapter 5. What I want you to do is I want you to understand uh, the context of what we see. John read starting in verse um, 7. They read through 7 to 11. Pretty easy to remember, 7 11. Remember when you're later on when you're going back over this, it wasn't Wawa, it was 7-Eleven, okay? It says, be patient, therefore. So we see this word patient. You're going to find this throughout the entire passage. Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Now again, in the context, right, let's go back to James. Put your finger here. Go back and say, but let patience have her perfect work. This is right, verse 4 of chapter 1. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Look up here for just a moment. Perfect. Perfect. The word's used twice. Let her have her perfect work, that you might be perfect. Now again, same, same Greek word that we've seen over and over and over again. The root is telos. And what it means is this. What it means is to be, to reach the goal, to be complete. So here's what God is saying to you. The trials that come in your life, God is using these to help you to reach the goal that he has in your life. And we know what that is, right? 1 Timothy 1.5 tells us what it is. The end of the commandment. Same Greek word, telos. The end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and a good conscience and faith unfeigned. So what is God wanting to accomplish through the trials and the tribulations that are coming into our lives? And this is it. That people might see love out of a pure heart and a good conscience and faith unfeigned in your life. Now, how can that happen? And the answer is, the Holy Ghost has to make this happen in your life. And he's going to. God says, count it all joy. Don't be bothered by these difficulties in your life. Now, listen, listen. Our flesh doesn't like these. There's no doubt about it. Our flesh doesn't like these difficulties even a little bit. And we have a a, a natural built-in response to want to fight against them, to get over them, to get through them. We'll throw other people under a bus if it will mean we can get through this quicker. And God says, don't do this. Don't live like this. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to so change. Listen, I'm telling you. I mean this with all my heart. I'm going to so change you that people will marvel at how you respond to these things in your life. And their question will be, how is this possible? And your answer will be this, Jesus This won't be a religious road answer. This will not be, I did this certain amount of religious effort. Jesus, I trusted him, and he made the difference in my life. And he's making a continual difference in my life. So now turning back to chapter chapter, uh, 5, so it says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husband waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and have long patience for it, until he receive the early and the latter rain. What I want you to notice is the obvious context of this is to go back to verse 6. So let's go back to verse 6. Ye have condemned, now ye have condemned, a completely different group of people. Ye have condemned and killed the just 
and he does not resist you. Now that takes us all the way back up to verse 1 of chapter 5. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl, for your miseries are come upon you. Now that go to now takes us to verse 13 of chapter 4. Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell. So God is condemning, listen to me, look at me please. God is condemning those who are arrogantly bragging about their own ability and the wealth that they have gained from their own ability. But in the context, and in order to really get the context, you have to go all the way back to chapter 3. Go back to chapter 3 towards the end of the chapter. It's really important. You go back and check this yourself later. The context is very clear. God is saying to the church, there will be those in the church who will brag and boast about how great they are and all that they are accomplishing. But go back, and, and God's going to make a complete uh, contrast in chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. And, and you need to see it, and you need to understand it before we can really look at 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11 of chapter 5. You have to understand who he's talking to. Chapter 3, verse 13. Now, please hear this. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. So what we see is this. Now, this is, by the way, in contrast to the entire chapter 3 where the tongue is a fire. In chapter 3, we find this. People saying things that they shouldn't ever have said and saying them again and again. Right? That's, that's the end, right? Verse 11 says, Does a fountain send forth this, of the same place sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries or a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. He got done saying, please, please look up here for a second. Churches are, not, churches are not ever, 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 ever to be places where people say terrible things about anybody. It's not what they're meant to be. It's not what they're meant to be. You do not show godliness when you talk bad about somebody else. In fact, this passage is going to make it very clear. You do the exact opposite. Notice what it says. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your heart, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without, excuse me, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And here's the end. Listen to this. So, this helps me so much. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now, he's going to say, right on the heels of that, right? Chapter 4, from whence then come the wars and fighting? If, hear me, if, if the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace, then how can it be that any church can have any war or fighting going on and in it? That's the question, right? From whence come war and fightings among you? Now notice what it says. Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? You know, I've said this so many times. You know what's wrong with churches? People. Right? Not Jesus. Not the Holy Spirit. Us. 
But if you were new creatures, and there's a lot of us in this room, praise God, that are new creatures. If we're new creatures, then we don't have to live like that. Thank God we don't have to live like that. I mean, honestly, thank God we don't have to be selfish anymore. Thank God that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. We no longer have to be about me, 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 my way, my way, my way, my way. We don't have to be like that. We just, and thank God we don't. And this is the victory. This is the everyday life victory that God wants us to have. Now, starting in chapter 4, starting in chapter 4, all the way through up to verse 7 of chapter 5, he's going to be pointing out, and yet there will be those that go to church who will behave themselves like this. And God's going to condemn them. Those that will behave themselves like this and find that they think that they're okay or even better than others, I rebuke you. I rebuke you. I rebuke you. I rebuke you. But now we get to chapter uh, 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren. Why? Because I've already told you people are going to say terrible things at church. Now, let me say this. It is not okay, and I'm not okay with it, and I won't allow it to happen. As much as in me is as the pastor, I will not allow people to hurt each other here at Tidewater. Just not going to let it happen. You can go someplace else and hurt people if you want to, but you can't come here and hurt people. Now, listen, we all, we all make mistakes. We all do things that we shouldn't do, but you cannot live a progressively ongoing selfish life and think that it's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay in any church. It shouldn't be that way anywhere, ever, ever, ever. Christ is worth more than that. He's worthy of better than that. He really, really is. If for no other reason, we should never hurt each other, if for no other reason than because Jesus is worthy that we never do it. But not only is he worthy that we never do it, you should be so full of love for him because of his great love for you that you'd find it impossible to hurt anybody else. And if you're able to hurt other people, you have to acknowledge, that's why it says, don't lie about it anymore. Glory not and lie not against the truth. Acknowledge, that's something wrong with me. I am still inherently selfish, Lord. There's something wrong with me. And guess what? If you'll humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, then he will lift you up. If you will acknowledge your own selfishness, if you will acknowledge your own shortcoming, if you will acknowledge your own sinfulness, he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But not only will he forgive you, he will change you. If it is the desire of your heart to be the man or woman of God that he wants you to be, then thank God he'll make you that man or woman. Not by your power. That's Romans chapter 7, right? I, I, I have this great idea about doing great things all the time, right? I, I tell you what, the average Christian who's really born again spends an awful lot of time in Romans chapter 7. They think warm, fuzzy thoughts about their brothers and sisters until they bump into one of them. And then the warm, fuzzy goes away. God said, don't let that happen. Don't walk after your flesh anymore. Walk after the Spirit, because the Spirit loves your brothers and sisters. Always the Spirit loves your brothers and sisters. And the Spirit loves you. Always the Spirit loves you. And praise God for that. So let's look at that with this in mind. Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman. Now, how many of you know what a husbandman is? How many of you have ever grown anything ever in a garden or at all? Raise your hand if you've ever grown anything. Raise it up nice and high. I want to see a pretty good amount of hands. All right. Now, all right. So you, no, I, I sat, asked if you grew things. I, I should have asked if you've ever planted anything. So I'm assuming that everybody that raised their hand has planted things. Now, does anybody, ever, does anybody understand the difference between planting something and seeing something grow? Anybody understand the difference between those two things? All right. We understand the difference between those two things. So what this is talking about, this is the husbandman 
that waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. And in my life, there are two um, crops that come immediately to mind. One are apples, because I grew up in Vermont, and there are a great deal of apple trees in Vermont. And so I, I know what it's like to watch apple orchards bring forth fruit. The other is corn, because they grow a lot of, back where I, you know, it's a joke, and it might not even be, it might even be true, at least it was probably when I was growing up in Vermont, that there were more cows than people in Vermont. And so they, you feed cows corn and hay. And so there was a lot of hay and a lot of corn. But they always waited until the fruit came forward in the corn and the apples before they picked the apples or cut down the corn to feed the cows, right? Because why bother to cut down the corn before the fruit has come? So now notice what it says. The husbandman waiteth, and waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he hath received the early, the spring, and the latter, the late summer and early fall rain. Be ye also, so just like that, you be patient. Establish your hearts. Now, I want to talk about this word establish for just a moment. Let your hearts, look at me. Let your hearts be stable is the idea. Establish means this, has this idea about it. Let your hearts be steady. Listen, you cannot live like this. You can, we do. But God would not have us to live up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. You know, we'll have a gospel scene. You see, please come back to the gospel scene. What a tremendous time it'll be. It's what we'll do in, 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 in place of our normal evening service. Tonight we'll have a gospel scene. Come. And we'll come and we'll sing. It'll be wonderful and it'll be great. And everything will be really, truly magnificent. Some of you, I mean, honestly, people have said to me, you know, just, I'm just in tears, Pastor, standing there singing. It was so joyful. I was so encouraged. And then you'll go home and you'll be getting your children ready for school tomorrow. And they can't find their math book or their sneakers or whatever it is. And suddenly all of that singing, all of that joy, poof, just gone. And listen, and that is circumstances controlling your joy. Instead of looking full in his wonderful face. What God wants you to understand is be patient. You live in a wicked world. Even when you assemble together with a bunch of born-again brothers and sisters, we still have flesh. Be patient. Our Lord is coming soon. And either he's coming soon or we're leaving soon, one or the other. Again, as the girls were singing that song, you know, I, I, I'm sitting here and I was looking out the window as they were singing. And it talks about looking over to where you're going. And, I, you know, we've, we've had a lot of people go home to be with the Lord. We've had a lot of, of loss in our church recently. And in the churches around us. And I, I sh I'm sure this is because I'm not 30 anymore. But I really feel like we're leaving any time now. Either he's coming to get us or just me, if you understand what I'm saying. And I'm not talking about me just being raptured. I'm just talking about me dying. But I, I'm, I'm honestly, how much do you look forward to not having your sin anymore? Yeah. Right? Forget your brothers and sisters' sin. Well, if you can't excuse their sin, if you can't allow for them to have sin, just like you have sin in your life, you got a problem. And if you don't think you have sin in your life like they have sin in your life, you got an even bigger problem because that means you don't know yourself very well. I look forward, I look forward to the Lord Jesus Christ taking all of us away from this sinful place. But while we're here together, we can labor together.
We can labor together. By the way, enjoy, right? Go back to the, go back to just, just, you know, keep your fingers here. Go back again. I want you to see it. At the very beginning of chapter one, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Don't be afraid and bothered by these things. Don't be concerned about these things. Recognize, listen, listen, you're watching your brothers and sisters grow just like you are growing. And it hurts when we grow. It does. It isn't perfect. We're not good at this. We would be perfect at this, by the way, if we would just walk after the Spirit all the time. But we don't walk after the Spirit all the time, so we make terrible mistakes, and we do bring hurt into one another's life. He said, be patient. Let's read it again. Be patient, therefore. I'm just going to keep reading for a second. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Talking about the husbandmen. Be ye also patient. Verse 8. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another Brethren, this means don't murmur, don't complain. It literally means this, don't sigh. <sighs> you again? Man, what is wrong with you? Why can't you get it? I remember as a baby Christian reading my Old Testament, and you're, and you know, you're reading the book of Exodus, and God has just delivered Israel with a mighty right arm, and they're wandering and they're whining, and then he delivers them from that, and they sing. And then they whine. And then he delivers them from that. And then they sing. And then they whine. And then he delivers them from that. And I remember saying literally out loud, what is wrong with you people? How, is, how can it be that you could miss the goodness of God so quickly? And the Holy Spirit said, yeah, like you've never done that. We do fall short in these things. Now, by the way, growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, right, causes a change in our life. It really does. It causes there to be less failure. It causes there to be less sighing. It causes there to be less groaning. It causes there to be less complaining. It causes there to be more glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. That causes there to be, our, listen, this is what happens. You become a vessel that is more and more useful in the hands of the Lord Jesus to be a help to other people. Thank God for that. That's what he wants to do. He wants you and I to be vessels unto honor that he can use to help your brothers and sisters. He, he chooses to. He can do it all by himself. He doesn't need any of us, but he chooses to use us to be a help to one another. And he has to use us walking after the Spirit in order for that to be the case. Grudge not one against the other, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of what? Patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen, listen to this, the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Isn't that encouraging? God is pitiful. Now why, listen, it's funny. Because the word pitiful there means to take pity. The truth of the matter is, you and I are pitiful. Right? You, that's the phrase that we use, pitiful. Pitiful. Just pitiful. You and I are the ones that are actually pitiful. He is the one that's having pity on us all the time. He is the one that is constantly having pity. Now listen, hear me. Please look at me. If God can be patient with you, can you not be patient with somebody else? Can you allow God to work in their life? Can you allow them to fail? Well, God is at work in their life. Can you or not? One of the things that I find as a pastor is those that are most hard or, or anxious 
or difficult on other people have almost no joy. Almost no joy. And here's why. Because people are always going to bother you. If people failing bothers you, it's going to be a long life. Do you understand what I'm saying? If people being not... What's funny is this. Um, I was talking to uh, Bob Bornfleth's daughter about her husband and about their marriage. And she was, uh, she was talking about how they're not the same at all and how he does things wrong. And I said, wrong or different? And she said, well, not like I do it. And I said, yeah, I, I know that. I understand that. Now, you know, I'm not going to, my wife and I have two, my wife and I have a different version of putting something away. My idea of putting something away is the drawer that it came out of originally. My wife's idea of putting something away is just down, okay? So my wife puts something away like this. I'm done with this here. It goes right here. doesn't matter that it came from over there. It goes right here. The next time my wife needs it, she just walks back to where it is and picks it up. The problem is if I need it before she does, I have no idea where it is, right? So to me, I mean this with all my heart. To me, this was something that had to change in her life because this is an evil, a terrible, dreadful thing. And we cannot live peaceably in this house if I can't find the scissors when I need the scissors. Amen? But what I realized is this. This is preference. This is my preference. I think it should be everybody's preference, by the way. Don't get me wrong. I still feel strongly about this. But what I realized is this. It isn't right and wrong. It's the way she does it and the way that I do it. Do you understand? So first of all, a lot of the things that you think your brother and sister are doing wrong, they're just doing differently. It's not necessarily wrong. But there are some things that they do, and you would say, well, the Bible is very... Now, by the way, there are awful lot of passages that you can make your own, say what you want them to say also. We won't go into that right now. But there are things that your brothers and sisters will do wrong. There are. And be patient with them. Look, look. 1 Corinthians is very clear. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll all be changed. If Jesus were to come... In less than, by the way, the twinkling of the eye is not a blink of the eye. The twinkling of the eye is actually the light reflecting off the eye. So at light speed, when, when, when Jesus comes to get us, at light speed, just like that, we'll be completely changed. Amen? And my wife will say, oh, I should have put that away. Okay? That's exactly what's going to happen. Just like that. We'll all know. And at that point, listen, at that point, we'll all realize, we'll all realize how wrong we were. Not how wrong everybody around us was. What we'll understand is how perfect Jesus is. How glad we are that it's his righteousness that we have and not our righteousness that we have. Amen? You don't want your righteousness. Don't you condemn your brother and sister to theirs. If they have the righteousness of Christ, they have the same righteousness that you have, whether they're perfect or not yet. See, God wants to make us perfect, which means none of us are. The Apostle Paul, near the end of his ministry, says, I've not arrived. But I don't keep doing the things I used to do. I keep pressing toward what God would have me to do in my life. I keep pressing toward the, the calling, the high mark of God in Christ Jesus. That's what God wants to accomplish in our lives. I want to close with this. Turn to Romans chapter, chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. That's a tremendous, wonderful truth. By the way, the normal Christian life, Deals with Romans chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8. The Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee. If you've never read it, you should read it. If you've read it once and, you, and it hasn't changed your life, read it again. And just keep reading again 
Eventually, God will help you to understand that you don't have to live in Romans 5. You don't have to live in Romans 6. You don't have to live in Romans chapter 7. You get to live in Romans chapter 8. That's what God wants for us. God wants us to live with wonderful, wonderful, spirit-filled victory in our lives. Then, by the way, once you start living in Romans chapter 8, the beginning of Romans chapter 9 will change your life because then there'll still be agony in your life, but it will only be for unsaved people. There'll be no more woe is me. There will only be woe is those who don't know Jesus. And not because you're better than them, but because as you're going to find at the beginning of Romans chapter 9, all I want is for my brothers according to the flesh to know the truth that God showed me. That's what I want for them. So now Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, and put a big old underline under this, we have, put two lines under the have, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope, right? The expectation, knowing of what's coming. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, just like the book of James. We glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh what? Patience. Exactly what we see in the book of James, because God the Holy Spirit wrote both these books. Tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. Ah, now I see how this works. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So notice what's happening. When, when you believe God, it's all theory. It's all theory. When you were saved and you trusted God, it was all theory. Good theory. I think God can do anything. Yep, he can. Then God says, watch what happens when this happens. And you say, oh, I don't know what's going to happen now. And this is what a young Christian's life is like. Oh, what's going to happen now? What's going to happen now? What's going to happen now? Well, eventually, you're going to trust Jesus. And eventually, you're going to realize that he's greater than you thought he was. And then the next trial is going to come. The next tribulation is going to come. And then in that tribulation, you're going to realize that Jesus is great. Let, let me take a perfect example. Mary and Martha, right? You guys, I don't have to explain who I'm talking about. Mary and Martha, they have a brother whose name is what? Lazarus, right? Lazarus is sick. And what do they do immediately? Because they're very smart girls. What do they do? They call for who? Jesus. Why? Because if Jesus comes, Lazarus will be just fine. How do they know that? They've already seen him heal many, many, many people. All we need is for Jesus to come and heal our brother, and everything's going to be great. And so they ask for him to come, and he's not going to come on purpose. He's not going to come. And then he's going to come, and Lazarus is already going to be dead. And both of them are going to say the exact same thing. If you had come, our brother would not have died. And they're going to be troubled by this, greatly troubled by this. We don't understand. We don't understand. We know how great and powerful you are. And he's going to say to them, no, you don't. You know I'm great enough to heal somebody, but you don't know that I'm great enough to raise the dead. But you will tomorrow. Isn't that wonderful? Do you understand? Now, let me ask you this. What do you suppose the next thing that bothered Mary and Martha was after that? And I got the, this is the answer. Nothing. Nothing. Why? Because Jesus can raise the dead. Right? What's the only thing that could ever be held against any of us? Death. Right? If you don't do this, I'll kill you. Okay. Could you do it quickly? 
That's my only, right, right? Just don't torture me. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm going to buy a cyanide tablet. I right? just keep it in my back. If you don't do this, I'm going to cut off your head. Well, quickly, slowly, you know what I'm saying? I just, need, I just need to know whether to bite this tablet in the back of my mouth or not, right? Do you understand? God has conquered everything. Everything. There's no reason to be afraid. And here's what happens. Listen, when you talk, when you, young people, hear me. When you talk to an older Christian and they give you counsel, not advice, counsel, let me tell you something they'll say. I have seen God do this in this situation. And you're going to be prone to not believe them because you don't know God that well yet. And you don't trust God that well yet. But they're not making up a story. They're just telling you, I'm telling you, God is able to do this. Let's look, let's look at what it says, right? This is what it says. We glory in tribulation, verse 3, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience, what? experience and experience hope and what is the word hope expectation right so here's what happens after i go through some of these trials that i find myself surrounded by in the beginning of the book of james including trials where people in my own church family fail and don't do something the way they're supposed to do what i find out is this god is able god is able he's going to come get us all in a little while and it's going to be just fine until he does it's going to be just fine jesus is in complete control of all these things i am no longer afraid of you hurting me so i can now just be a help to you amen i don't have to get my sissy feelings hurt i don't have to be angry and fussy and whiny with you because you did such and such and so and so and you shouldn't have i've done a lot of things just like you just did and guess what god is greater than this in both of our lives amen so i can reach out and help you i can be here listen not because i'm superior not because i'm better but because i can testify to the goodness of god in my life and I just want you to know, he can do this in your life also. Amen? This is what we're seeing in the book of James. This is what God wants us to understand. Listen, be patient. It'll soon be over. And until it is, Jesus is more than enough in your life. Forgive your brothers and sisters. Now, by the way, let me go back to what I said before. God is really upset with the brethren that hurt the brethren. So if you've done it, if you're doing it, repent of it. If someone has done it to you, though, don't cry out for, for them to get theirs. Be patient with them. Be merciful to them. Now, I want to close with this. Turn back to, J to James chapter 5. I think I said I wanted to close with something else, so I, I apologize. I want you to notice what it says at the end of this. James chapter 5, verse 11. We, got, we talked about it just a little bit, but I want you to notice this. It says, and at the end of talking about the patience of Job, Job just waiting on God. And by the way, Job was patient. Job wasn't perfect. Okay? Job was patient. Job wasn't perfect. But God was exactly what we're going to find in Job's life at the end of this verse. And have seen the end of the Lord. You have seen how God finishes things. And what is that? The Lord is very pitiful and tender mercy. Praise God for that. We serve a God who is pitiful and full of tender mercy. We can patiently wait till it's time to leave. And by the way, it won't be long.